you can be seated, I want you to keep your uh, Bibles open. By the way, that's Barnabas, not Barabbas, but that's okay. My brother Marco, it gets lost in the translation sometime. Uh, Marco went on a hiking trip to us in Mexico. I was actually on his team. And uh, man, he was great with those kids. And uh, he saved my life on the mountaintop because it got pretty ugly up there as well. I want us to uh, start with verse 52 this morning. We're going to work our way backwards. In verse 52, we find our goal for the day. This is the goal for all of us as we leave here today to be continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. That's what happened as a result of this story. So that's our goal. That's our prayer. We want to be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, we can ask a lot of questions about that verse. Uh, typically, we, we want to ask the how question. How am I filled with the Holy Spirit? How am I continually filled with joy? And when you ask that question, what you're really wanting to know are the mechanics of the spiritual life. How, how do I get filled with joy? What are the steps that I take? Uh, that's the how question. And, and some of that will get answered uh, in this passage. Some of it won't. The better question, I think, though, is the why question. Why were these disciples continually filled with joy? And why were they filled with the Holy Spirit? The why question focuses on data. What events happened? What circumstances caused this overflowing joy and fullness of God's Spirit? So there's where we start in verse 52. Now let's go back to verse 44. In fact, we even need to go back beyond that. The sermon that Pastor Jerry preached last week. If you'll recall, uh, Paul and Barnabas had preached this powerful message in the Jewish synagogue. They were boldly proclaiming a resurrected Jesus Christ. And the results were quite astonishing. Uh, Jews were beginning to believe in Christ. The Gentiles uh, who were God-fearing and, and thinking of Judaism were turning toward Christ. And so everyone wanted to hear more. And so where Jerry left it last week was the people of the synagogue said to Paul and Barnabas, we want you to come back next week and teach again. So that's where we start with verse 44. We're one week later. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? I mean, one week's time, the whole, the whole city is showing up to hear about this Jesus Christ, the resurrection, and the power of salvation. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, began contradicting the things spoken by Paul, and they were blaspheming. So everybody shows up. And the Jewish leaders do two things. Notice it says they begin contradicting the message that Paul and Barnabas had preached the week before. Now we don't know exactly what they were contradicting. They had a whole week to prepare for it. I assume they contradicted that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. I'm pretty sure they contradicted that he was raised from the dead. And also I assume that they were teaching or contradicting that there really was no wrath from God for failure to trust in Christ as the Messiah. Because those are the things that were encapsulated in their first message the week before. But it's interesting, the second thing 
that they did. Not only did they contradict, they were actually blaspheming. That's a strong word. To blaspheme against the things of God. They weren't just contradicting. They were speaking profanely against Jesus. And I assume the scriptures pointing to him. It's not just being disrespectful to the gospel. They were radically hateful for Jesus Christ desecrating the Holy One of God. And so I want us to notice that the response of Paul and Barnabas to this blasphemy was quick and decisive. We live in a world um, where there's a lot of blasphemy of, of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And our response in the workplace or at school, it needs to be very quick. Say, no, that's wrong. It needs to be very decisive. So notice in these next few verses, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. And they said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. But since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Wow. What a great response. You know, our responses in life likewise... We're always to be looking for the ones who are open to the gospel. Now everyone deserves to hear the gospel. But some will reject. And our focus needs to be those who are desiring it or wanting it or are open to it. And so Paul says the gospel had to be preached first to the Jews. Now, the reason for that, several, we can't go through all of that today, but, I mean, they were God's chosen people, right? All the covenant blessings belonged to them. They were first revealed to them, as was the Holy Scriptures. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, belonged to the Jews, and so salvation, in a sense, came to us through the Jews. Every town Paul visited, he spoke first to the Jews, but here in this city, they repudiated all of it. They blasphemed the Messiah. They forfeited eternal life. All of us here today are in a state of lostness if we continually reject Christ as the Savior. So Paul and Barnabas feel this freedom to begin teaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, preaching salvation to the Gentiles wasn't a new thing in Acts chapter 13. You remember several months ago when Jerry preached in Acts chapter 10, God called Peter to go to the Gentile house of Cornelius and to share the gospel. So this is not the first time the gospel was shared with the Gentiles. Now, perhaps Paul and Barnabas knew about that. Perhaps they'd been waiting uh, and wanting to do the same thing, but the Holy Spirit did not give them the green light until Acts chapter 13. We don't know. But we can even go further back because preaching of salvation to the Gentiles goes back to the very heartbeat of God and is revealed in the Old Testament. In verse 47... Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 49. 
That this Messiah would come and be a light to the Gentiles and that the gospel would be preached to the ends of the earth. Now if you go back in Isaiah chapter 49, it is the beginning of a wonderful prophetic section that talks about the coming of the Messiah. It lasts for nine chapters. But in chapter 49, the first of those nine chapters, right off the bat, God's word says that this Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles so that salvation would be brought to the ends of the earth. It was in the heartbeat of God for everyone to hear the gospel. Let me give you a very quick uh, Hebrew and, and Greek lesson. Uh, in the Old Testament, you have two groups of people. You have the Am, the people of God, the Jews, the chosen ones, and you got everybody else. And the word there in Hebrew is goyim. It means everybody else. Chosen people, everybody else. Two groups of people. Now, goyim is usually translated nations or Gentiles. In Isaiah 49.6, the Messiah will be a light to the goyim, to the nations, to the everybody else. Now when you take these same concepts into the New Testament and you put them into Greek, two different words are used. You have the word laos for the people of God. We get our word laity, the laity, the people of God. And the everyone else are called the ethnos. And so Paul says here in verse 46, we are turning to the ethnos, the Gentiles, to the everybody else. The gospel is not just for the laos, the people of God. It is for everyone. In fact, in Romans chapters 9 through 11, there's this wonderful theological treatise that, that Paul deals with. The rejection of Christ by the Jews and that the Gentiles, the ethnos, the everybody else are the real spiritual Israel. They're the real God's people. Now let me chase a rabbit for a moment. Here's a verse many of you know if you've been in church very long. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said this. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. What, what word do you think is being used right there? Laos or ethnos? Ethnos. Make disciples not, not of the people of God, but the everybody else's. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe. We are to make disciples of the nations, the everybody else. The priority in disciple making is not the laity, it is the ethnos. Now I'm all for spiritual growth within the laos. I, I, I'm so glad that we're offering these classes on Saturday night in, in biblical finances and marriage and, and parenting. But our focus and purpose as a church body always needs to be on the everybody else, not just God's people. I'm all for the Sunday morning eye growth classes. I, I hope some of you will uh, uh, take systematic theology uh, when it's offered. But the focus of the church can never be about us. And our needs and our kids and what our teenagers need. The kingdom causes is always about the everybody else. 
And I hope you never get tired of hearing it because you're going to hear it from me every time I get to preach. The gospel is for everyone. Now look at the response here in verse 48 and 49. When the Gentiles heard this, can you imagine this? The whole city's crowded into the synagogue. And they hear, now we're, we're going to start preaching to the Gentiles. They begin rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole reason. Here's the first reason as to why the disciples were full of joy and full of the Holy Spirit. They were full of joy in the Holy Spirit because of the realization that the gospel was for everyone. The Jews were repudiating Christ, but the Father was opening doors for everyone. If that doesn't fill you with some joy and the Holy Spirit, you need a heart check today. You know, in the very synagogue, even if you're a Gentile considering belief in the Jewish God and, and converting uh, there was separation. The Jews had the main quarter, and then there was a little wall, and there was the court of the Gentiles. So you can imagine the scene, the Gentiles being on the outer court, hearing this message. They're going crazy on the outside. The gospel is for us. All the nations, all the cultures, every lifestyle. You know, that sounds so obvious to us, but Man, in the book of Acts, this was a radical concept. Jesus died for the sins of all. And he's raised to eternal life so that all would believe. So I want to encourage you this morning, some practical ways. The gospel is for everyone, starting in your family. And then broadening out to your neighbors and the people that you work with. And the people that you go to school with. Out in our foyer, there hangs a cross, and you'll notice signatures of some of our members. It's been there seven months. And if you remember now, you've probably walked right by it and never even noticed it now because we kind of get used to, to things being around. And maybe it's even lost its meaning a little bit, but we have a lot of people who are here today who weren't here in January when that cross was signed. And if you have not, I want to ask you to sign that cross today. But what are you committing to? Well, you're going to go to this website, prayforeveryhome.org, and sign up. And what will happen is you'll get a little map, and it will pinpoint where you live. And then it's going to draw close to a circle, as can be done, of 100 homes around your house, your ethnos, your everyone else. And every day you're going to get a, a little email of five neighbors to pray for. And you're going to pray for them. And they'll have a little model prayer, one or two sentences of how to pray for those neighbors. And if you forget, you'll get the same five the next day. And then once you actually stop and pray for them, you'll hit a little button and then the next day you're going to get five more. And that's going to go for 20 days until you've prayed for 100 people. And then you get to start all over again. And what will happen over just a few months is you're going to see how God will intersect your life with the lives of some of your neighbors. New friendships are going to be started. You're going to be able to share the gospel with them because the gospel is for everyone in your neighborhood. The gospel is for every lifestyle. Here's a photo of Lisa. I hope you can see it. Lisa is on the left there. Lisa is the only girl 
teenage girl who showed up to learn how to play baseball in Montpellier, France. She was there the first day when we just did public service. We went through the park and picked up trash. And, and she's been attending a little youth Bible study that's going on in that town. There is no evangelical church in a town of 30,000 people. But we've got a little youth movement trying to get going. She was only one girl out of the 12 playing baseball. And out of those 12, there was only one believing teenager. Lisa is confused about her sexuality. When we met her on Saturday picking up things in the park, you know, she said, you know, I, I, th I think I'm a lesbian. By the end of our week there, she had not accepted Christ, but she was seriously questioning this whole gay confusion in her heart. The gospel is for everyone, even these young Lisas of the world. This is Edgar. He's 13 years old. He attended our camp in Mexico. You may not can tell from the picture, but his his hair is dyed a, a burgundy red. It really stands out when you see him in camp. Edgar, too, is confused about his sexuality. He's been dressing up as a woman at the age of 13. I don't know if this is his choice or if it's been forced on him by other people. It may well be the latter because this sort of thing is not uncommon in Mexico among the poor and the prostituting of your children. But Edgar heard the gospel for three days. He was loved by some genuine Christians. And there's some here this morning who spent a lot more time with Edgar than I got to spend time with. And I don't know if he accepted Christ. I did see him walk across the uh, cross when we did the bridge illustration the last day. But, you know, a lot of the kids did that. But the gospel is for everyone. Even Edgar. The gospel is for all the Gentiles, for all the nations, for all those everybody else's in the world. And what's really interesting is Paul would emphasize this to the church at Corinth. You see, the church in Corinth was full of not former Jews, but the everyone else's, the Gentiles of all the nations, of all the lifestyles. And Paul wrote to them to reinforce God's word. And he reveals something very interesting about the makeup of this church. He wrote to them and said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, or the covetous, or drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Can you imagine this congregation struggling with all these issues? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Oh, my friends, the gospel is for everyone and it has the power to wash away all sin and to sanctify us and to change us. 
You know what the largest unreached people group in America is? Crosses cultural lines. It's everyone 18 years old and under. It's the largest unreached group in America, 18 years and under. Here's what I'd like to propose at our next elder-led prayer meeting. We're going to invite and pray over all of our teachers as they go back to school. Jerry Isabel and I are kind of working out the mechanics of what it's going to look like. But you think about it, teachers spend more time with their students than their own parents do. And every one of us can point to an educator or two who had a profound influence on us. So I want us to pray for the largest unreached people group in America. And I want to pray for our teachers. Pray for them and over them. So if you're a teacher, public or private school, please mark down August the 17th from 7 to 8 o'clock. Put it on your calendar. All of our people... I've invited different schools that have some relationship with the Ridge to participate. I know uh, Lucy Samways in our, our weekday um, preschool is on board. I've invited Willow Bend and Coram Deo and, and public school teachers that I know. And so I want you to come that evening with, with, with a Bible verse to share. I want you to come prayed up and maybe God will have given you a word to, to pray over some of our teachers. Come with a word of encouragement from the heart of God. Come with a list of your own, of your everybody else's as well. Because the gospel is for everyone and we need to pray for the lost. So these disciples were full of joy in the Holy Spirit because the gospel was for everyone. There's a second reason they were full of joy in the Spirit. And that is they were seeing the election of God unfold before their very eyes. Look at verse 48 and 49 again. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying in the word of God. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now don't let that word appointed freak you out. Election, predestination, foreknowledge. Those things confuse me sometimes basically this is it salvation starts with God none of us wake up one morning and decide you know I think I'll follow Jesus as my savior no one chooses God first we are too sinful and depraved to desire God God chooses us. He loves us. God chose to offer salvation to the everybody else's, the nations of the world. The initiation of this process begins with God. In John 16, 18, it talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. When He comes, He will convict the world Concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The conviction of sin is the work of God in our life. The conviction that we can be right with God is the work of God. And the judgment to come is the work of God. Salvation starts with God. No one becomes a Christian without the work of the Holy Spirit first. 
Now here's the good news. In case you're worried about your soul as you should be and whether you're the elect or not. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. He's patient towards you. He's patient towards you. Not willing for any to perish. But all to come to repentance. Salvation starts with God. It includes your willingness to repent and trust in Christ as your Savior. Something these Jewish leaders refused to do. And so now Paul and Barnabas go to the everybody else's. Here's a picture of Bruno. Bruno's attended our children's celebration in France the last four years. Four years. He brings his kids. First year he was out of job. He hung around. He even helped. Every year he comes back looking forward to seeing us, us looking forward to seeing him. This year it was a little different. This year he invited Steve Marshall, our missionary there, myself and another pastor, over to his house for coffee one afternoon. When a Frenchman invites you into his castle, <laughs> that's a high honor. You drop everything. And we were just juggling schedules. We spent over an hour with Bruno, sharing salvation, listening to his questions, giving our salvation experience, answering his questions. One of his big hang-ups was, you know, if I give my life to Christ and I love God totally with all my heart, well, what about my wife and kids? Because I love them. We tried to get him to understand, that's going to help you love them more. Here's a picture of Pablo. Pablo came on our hiking trip to Mexico. This is the green team. I wasn't the leader. Marco was our leader because he could speak Spanish. Pablo's in the lower left corner here. He's attending a motorcycle biker church. We were sitting around the campfire one night, four or five of us, and I just began going one by one. Are you a believer? If you are, tell me your, your story. A couple of the kids shared their experience. Pablo's listening. After about three, I think they asked me to share my story. I shared my story. Marco interpreted for me. I turned to Pablo. Pablo understood. He was able to clarify that he was not a believer yet. But he heard the gospel. Now, neither Bruno nor Pablo accepted Christ on this trip. In some ways, I was disappointed, particularly with Bruno. Just felt we were right there. But I know salvation is of the Lord. And so I told both of them what I'm telling you this morning, if you're without Christ. There will come a time. Because God is not willing that any should perish. There will come a time. It will be an unmistakable time. When you will sense the Holy Spirit of God calling you to repent.
and to trust in Christ for your salvation. And you will know it when it happens. And when it does, I hope you'll respond with a yes, Lord. These Jewish leaders rejected the call. The everybody else's embraced it. <laughs> and as a result, the disciples were full of joy and of the Holy Spirit because they were seeing the election of God unfold before their very eyes. Last thing. Let me close this out with an old proverb. It says this. Where Jesus builds a church, Satan builds a chapel. Whenever God's word is preached, Christ is preached, Satan works to sow division and discord. And so strong was the rejection of God's word. We get the end of the story here in verses 50 and 51. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city. They instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Drove them out of their district, not just out of the synagogue. Not just out of the city, out of the district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. This is the third reason, I think, as to why the disciples were full of joy and full of the Spirit. It's not that they were persecuted. Although, in the book of Acts, we see that a lot of times. They counted it a great joy to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. I think the joy here is because this is a story of the triumph of the gospel. In spite of the persecution, there's great joy because they see what's happening among the everybody else's. They see it spreading everywhere. And throughout history, the church has triumphed over persecution. And the church will triumph in future opposition. The spirit-inspired joy of the harvest is one of our great rewards. Because when people are saved and lives are changed, we rejoice. We'll offer a word of prayer and afterwards we're going to come and share in communion. Let's pray.